I really needed the workflow to work for mixing, mastering, Atmos, post. I had a I had a, a big list of things that I wanted to hit in the most concise kind of package possible. And so, yes, enter the 16 line, which has rocked my world. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Focusrite Pro Podcast. This is a mostly bi-monthly show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind today's professional audio products. I'm your host, Dan Hughley, and on the show today, I'm joined by Rob Burl, multi-Grammy-winning mix engineer, and we're going to discuss creating a palette for each artist he works with, being a hybrid analog and digital engineer, mentoring the new generation, building an Atmos room, and a whole lot more. Well, welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Just a couple of questions here uh, to learn a little bit more about you and what you do, and uh, hope that's all right with you. Absolutely. Cool. So what originally brought you to work with sound? I, I've been a lover of music and sound my my whole life. Uh, raised in a musical family, grew up singing playing instruments. I don't know how to be me without the aspect of sound. So from a young age, everything from music to to film sound to, you know, on down the line, I'm just literally a kid at Christmas every day, you know, thinking about how I can make noise. That's great. So, uh, so you live by, uh, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. Yeah. I, I, after 26 years in this industry, I'm still not jaded and miserable and, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad for that. (laughs) Hey, there, there's enough room. There's plenty of those out there. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thank you for not being another one of them. (laughs) Glad to be glad to be. You're still young though. So uh, well, kind of. Yeah. Uh, when you got started out, uh, what was the state of the audio industry when you got started? Yeah, so I came in at a really interesting time. Uh, it was the early 90s, and and we were in a massive shift from the analog world to the digital world, uh, you know, kind of in full force. Uh, within the first couple of years that I was in the industry, it went from, okay, if you wanted a home studio you needed to buy a Trident ADB, which was one of the yeah. cheaper consoles at the time, still a hundred grand or whatever. And then you yeah. needed a, an Otari MTR 92 inch machine, which was one of the cheaper machines at the time for 30 grand. And, you know, right. so uh, on down the line, a home studio would, would be a quarter of a million bucks, you know? So oh, that, yeah. that really didn't exist much except for high end, producers and artists uh here in nashville where i was and so um so i really got to enjoy a lot of hands-on time in the analog world and to cut my teeth there to to really understand uh i I think it really led me to understand sound better and and so so then uh, you know w- just within a few short years after i began began the shift into adats d88s uh otari came out with radar yamaha released the o2r console and mackie followed up with the digital 8 bus and all, and all of a sudden everything exploded it was all yeah. it was all different from there on yeah. out yeah uh so it seems like you came up in kind of a hybrid world which is which yes. is very unique. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I think I, uh, you know, I went to music school in um, the early 2000s. So mm-hmm. it was mostly digital for me. It, it sure. was uh, 
extracurricular activity to actually learn how to uh, to uh, set up a tape machine. And yes. then we didn't even do anything. We didn't even record. It was just aligning the tape machine. And that right. was it. Right. Um, but you, it sounds like you were very hands-on. Um, and then, yeah, it seems like um, you were saying it, it taught you a lot about sound. And, and that's yeah. that's that makes a lot of sense because you actually see the signal flow of it. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's a very important thing because uh, what I tell, you know, young, young folks that I'm mentoring or, or, or talking to the, even though we live in a digital age, sound always begins analog. It does. Well, okay. Unless you're creating it in the computer, that's, that's fine. But any, anything that you are recording is analog sourced and it has to be converted from analog to digital. And eventually it has to go back to analog to, for our ears to hear it. So uh, to me, there's a huge importance in understanding the fundamentals of the analog world, which uh, it's, it's shocking how many want to kind of throw that under the bus and say, well, no digital makes everything different. I say you can do even better with digital recordings if you understand the -hmm. fundamentals of analog. I I personally never want to go back to the analog ways. This is so great the day we live in right now. It's awesome. But I will tell you that I firmly believe that the the foundational understanding makes a huge difference in the end product. Sure. I I, that you know that you just answered my next question was uh, were you are you more of a analog or digital guy? And I I know you have a a digital console uh, Mm -hmm. in your studio, um, and uh, it seems like you have quite a bit of outboard gear though. Yeah, I've you know I I am not a this or that. I'm uh, whatever it takes to to make things great. Um, I spend uh, about ninety eight percent of my business is mixing. And so the last few years, I have been pretty much all in the box for two reasons. One is the the nature of the music business, the the speed at which labels want recalls and they want to tweak and then they want stems and they want, uh, even though I had when I was, when I had a very hybrid setup with a small console and lots of outboard, um, the time making sure that everything was aligned, you know, cause it, it, things get out of whack, a cable goes weird or the patch bay gets crackly. You, you have to, if you're going to have integrity with what you do, you need to make sure that you're double checking those things before you just rip out a new version for the client. And, and, and it just became time intensive right around that same time is when I started discovering some new analog modeled plugins that really you know they they gave my vintage hardware some serious rival especially for the fact that you know i don't have to spend thousands of dollars in upkeep a year and so so the transition took place over a couple of years for me to go completely in the box so i i rarely power on the outboard for a mix anymore because i'm i'm super happy with what i'm able to achieve plugins have come a long way haven't they light years yes Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> just even in the short amount of time that I've been mm-hmm. in audio, you know, just since uh, the early 2000s, oh, yeah. it's, it's like, it's like night and day. Absolutely. How do you stay on the cutting edge of audio technology? Part of it is research. Part of it is, you know, doing a lot of listening to, uh, listening to other music, which makes you go, okay, how did they, how did they achieve that? What are they working on? What are the, you know, how is that happening? Uh, but one of the biggest things is having a great community. I've got, in fact, I had some guys over to my studio studio last night. Um, I just did a Dolby Atmos install in my room. And so uh, 
one of my one of my good buddies had had been over to hear it already the other hadn't so we just kind of sat sipping some wine and listening to some atmos mixes and 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 community like that you're you know guys are always going hey man i just tried this new plug-in and it blew my mind getting rid of the finger squeaks on an acoustic guitar you got to try this and so so i think community is huge i think in any business you have to trust your peers you know you have to you have to have that network of people um that that give you the information you know otherwise you're never going to try anything new that's right taking that further from the networking to to just the plain creative you know one of the things that I really try to do, I personally don't do uh, template mixing. Uh, I, I create a palette for each artist. Uh, that's, you know, like a painter, you, you don't go, Oh, I'm going to paint the sky, but Oh shoot, I've got a palette full of greens. Well, what am I going to do? You know? Uh, so I, I don't, I don't like to predetermine where I have to head with my mix before I start the allowing myself to change something up every day. Yeah. And be different and and not get stuck in a rut. That also propels you forward because if you get really comfortable with a setup that I mean it may work and it may work great but you know is that really the ultimate expression of your creativity? Is that really giving the best and and you know I like to be challenged. I like to get my butt kicked a little bit, you know, and go, "Ooh, this is what am I going to do with this?" So that brings me back to something that you you had just uh, said with some of the things that you do to to stay on the cutting edge is listening to music. And on uh, one of our recent episodes, an engineer uh, told us that he used to have a three or $400 budget a month to go buy new music. Uh, how, how awesome is it now that, you know, for $15 a month subscription, you have most of the music in the world at your fingertips. So you no longer have to do that. It's huge because yeah, back in the day, that was it. It was like, okay, I, you know, I've realized for, for 10 or 15 years, I really didn't buy many CDs purely for enjoyment. They were really for research and learning, you know, and I mean, you know, I liked a lot of them, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to buy a record I want. I was like, okay, so I want to hear what that producer's doing or, you know, that record sounds unique compared to everything. I got to get that and digest it and kind of tear it apart. So, so yeah, the ability to uh, hit Apple Music and have the, you know, the catalog of, of life at your fingertips is, is definitely great. Uh, to be exposed to new things and then to go back and listen to old things, you know? And then, um, you know, there's curated lists like, oh, oh, it turns out you like new music. Why don't you check this out? And then that leads you down these rabbit holes and you find these artists that you've never heard of from countries that you may have never heard of. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just in the last few years for myself, world music has become something that I've enjoyed. And you know, in, in the past, it's not even something I would have uh, looked for. Yeah, I think that exposure to to new things, that's exactly it. You know, if you're if back in the day when you had to head to Tower Records and and look through, you know, you kind of knew what you were going and looking for because there were, you know, they had some listening stations. You could audition some new things, but it's not like now where, you, yeah, you get those suggestions and you go, oh, this is pushing my musical boundary. I would not have picked this but yet I'm drawn to it now. Okay, let me have more. It's funny how sometimes I'm drawn to new music because of the audio quality and sometimes the content. Very, very rarely is it both. Um, but do you, do you ever find that just like, I, I like sa- listening to a nice sounding album. Absolutely. I don't have a problem switching off my analytical brain. I don't, I don't have to rip something apart, you know, whether it's music or film, if I need to go into rip it apart mode, yes, I can. And I will. But I think first and foremost, I'm an enthusiastic fan. 
you know? And so, so when I sit down to listen, you're right. There are records that I go, Oh, the songs are weak, but my word, the production is just money, you know? And then there's others that, man, this record sounds really horrible, but there's a visceral energy that is just like grabbing me and pulling me yeah. in. So I, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't try to get too elitist about it. I'm a, I'm a little overexcited, you know? And you mentioned, uh, Atmos mixes. Mm-hmm. Are you doing some Atmos mixing yourself? Do you, you, uh, you have an Atmos room there. Yes. Uh, it's just been given the thumbs up by Dolby. And so, yes, uh, it is up and running. And so, uh, going back and mixing some songs that I've previously mixed in Atmos and then uh, working with the Dolby team to see how things are translating. So so the songs that you've previously mixed, are you doing Dolby mixes for yourself for reference or is this something you've been hired to do? At the start, this is just kind of learning, kind of finding my way through sure. the process. It's a very technical process, but once you get, you know, my whole thing, you know, you mentioned my console, you know, it's really just a control surface. And the the reason I have that is I came up in the console days. I'm a very tactile uh, mixer. I don't like to look at the screen. I don't like the mouse. I sit on that thing and I fly like I'm playing an instrument. And, and so for Atmos, it's very important to me that I do two or three mixes just for myself so that I can let the, the tech part of it melt away sure. and, and become second nature. And then I can just be creative. Uh, but as of right now, it's a little bit, okay, I'm, I'm having to think tech as well as music. And I want to, I want to not think tech and, and that's the way they've designed it. That's going to happen very quickly once I dive in, but I, I need to get over that hump before I do something for hire, which I've actually been hired for, uh, for an Atmos mix in January. Nice. So that's why, that's why I need to get, <laughs> get my chops going. Um, I've already got ideas about these songs. I just need to dial in the tech side. We were fortunate enough a few episodes back to, um, uh, to interview Dave Henze of Henze Sound. He was actually the first uh, Atmos for Home certification in the U.S. Uh, I, I loved sitting in the sweet spot in that room and listening to his uh, to his uh, mixes that he was doing. And he's mixing some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's the same in yours as well. Um, yeah, Atmos is just opening up a whole new world for, for mix engineers like yourself. Yes. You do some post-production work as well. Is that correct? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, when I, when I left New York 26 years ago, it, it had to be the decision of Nashville or LA because at the time, it, you know, it was still very much, you needed to be in a music city yeah. if you were going to, if you were going to play the game. And so, um, LA was, you know, very attractive from a music and film standpoint. Mm-hmm. I had literally weeks before this decision proposed to my wife and we knew that we wanted kids, wanted a big family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I looked at it and thought, okay, Nashville versus LA, you know what? Nashville might be the place. And so we headed here and I thought, well, there's probably not a lot of chance for uh, for film work, but, uh, I think it was 2003. I got a call from someone saying, Hey, would you want to help out on a short film? And, uh, so it's kind of snowballed. I have, I've now done probably 
30 documentaries and shorts, and I've done six full-length features, and I'm in Nashville, so who knew? Hey, uh, <laughs> living in, in L.A. with no kids, you made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I, I feel that every day from my friends that live out there. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, would have been, been. I don't know, though. So many people that are uh, leaving L.A. for Nashville now, you might... Um... You might you might find yourself in LA whether you like it or not. Yeah, exactly. It, I, we we are starting to become a, a, an LA South or LA East, whatever you know, whatever you want to call it. So uh, when you, when you put in your Atmos room, um, uh, is that when you um, moved into a Dante network? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was it was clear looking at um, what I wanted out of my room, which was to uh, you know. I really have, I've got a mastering level monitoring system, you know, situation here in stereo, amazing for mixing on. I wanted to build on top of that for Atmos. Um, and so I needed things sonically to be excellent. I needed the kind of the, I really needed the workflow to work for mixing, mastering, Atmos, post. Uh, I, I had a I had a, a big list of things that I wanted to hit in the most concise kind of package possible. And so, yes, enter the sixteen line, which has rocked my world. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a it's a great interface, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad that uh, that you're enjoying it. Um. So when, when I, I keep doing this, but uh, taking a step back for a second, uh, the tactile approach to a mixing board. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you 100% that mixing with a mouse doesn't really work for me. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm looking at the screen. Um, sometimes I, I do end up closing my eyes and adjusting things, and uh, but it's still mm -hmm. not the same. You know, you're still clicking the same right. thing, no matter if you're moving a fader or twisting a knob or pushing a button, it's still a mouse. Right. Um, so, yes. you know, even, even though you have a control surface, that still is, it's, it's a large mouse, but everything it feels it a bit different. Um, and then, yes. and then you mentioned, you know, it's the musicality of it. And that's something that I really... I wanted to high five you through your website um, because <laughs> I read, you know, you said that's how you can truly make uh, a track that you're working on musical. And and that just makes mm -hmm. you just another member of that group or you're part of that artist, you know, and, and you're the reason they sound like they do. So that, that was something that really uh, hit home for, for me and, and something that I really appreciate, um, you know, as a, as a very quite novice engineer myself, uh, uh, you know, especially in comparison to someone like yourself. Um, but, uh, but speaking of your website, um, do you want to tell us about your experience with Bono since your website told me oh. that I should, <laughs> that I should ask? Yes. Yeah. You know, it, 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 in my mix credits is, you know, artists I've mixed and, and I said Bono, but you know, you're going to have to ask me about that one. So, so the trick with that is um, I, I did a, I did a Christmas compilation record for uh, an artist named Michael W. Smith um, here in Nashville. Um, I've done a lot of records with Michael over the years. Um, and so we did this Christmas record that uh, he wanted it to be primarily a record of duets with other artists, a lot of country artists and things. Um, and so he he and Bono are good friends. Oh, cool. So so he asked Bono if he would want to be involved with this. And and at the end of the day, there were too many logistics via scheduling and, and whatnot for Bono to be able to sing on the record. 
Um, but what Michael thought would be great is if Michael wrote some underscore and had Bono recite a, a traditional Irish Christmas poem. Oh, cool. So, so that's what happened. So I mixed Bono's voice, but it was speaking not singing, but Hey, it's still Bono. Right. I, I, I I'm kind of like, I, I, I put that asterisk on the website and I have no shame for saying, yeah, I've mixed Bono, but it was speaking. <laughs> hey, I still, I say I'm engineering a podcast so you can, that's right. same thing. Spoken word. Hey, I, I, I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> Take it. That's right. That is right. No shame in anything that. I can get. You and me both, man. So I, I noticed another thing. You, you mentioned Michael W. Smith, and I, I brought up Bono. Um, but it seems like you touch artists across a lot of genres and also a lot of cultures and um, geographical areas. Um, do you want to you want to talk about that a little? And and one and sure. one other thing on top of that is. Uh, um, uh, Dave Riley, who stopped by your facility and told me how awesome it was. Uh, he told me that you have a, um, I think it's a sign that says, uh, watch your step or something, but you have it also in Spanish. Um, yes. yeah, I thought that was really cool that, you know, in the middle of Nashville, you have people coming from all over the world to have you mix their album. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy about this, uh, that, in all these years, I've not been pigeonholed no. into, oh, he does this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I grew up listening to a huge, wide range of music, grew up performing a huge, wide range of music. And I, I kind of don't want to just do one thing. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, I literally can go from an orchestral record or a film score to a hip hop song the next day to a country song the next day. And this is kind of par for the course for my schedule. And, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, so the clients are from all over the world. Yeah. I, the, the sign, uh, I have a lot of Latin American yeah. clients and I've got several of them who, who come here and they don't speak a word of English, you know, wow. usually someone in the band will or whatnot, but yeah. you know, the bathroom in my studio has a little step down into it and I didn't want anyone falling and breaking a leg. So I thought, you know what, we better do this multilingually. So that's covering your own butt and being, uh, that's right. being courteous at the same exactly. time. And be, that's right. Hopefully making them feel at yeah. home, but yeah, also making sure that, you know, we don't have a lawsuit. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, the beauty of one, one of the other things that's great to me is not only do I not get pigeonholed, in a genre, but the way that working on one genre today fuels my creativity for the next is, is something that I think is a huge benefit to, to my mixes to, to go, okay, you know what? I mix a hip hop song today and tomorrow is a rock track, which normally would have a very different presentation of the low end you know but you know what they've done some stuff maybe we can push some boundaries here maybe and then i have that conversation with artists i say you know this first mix is what i tell all my artists this first mix is me being creative Mm -hmm. i am going to go for what my gut tells me on this if you don't like it we need to pull back that's fine but my you've you haven't hired me to turn a knob that's no good for either of us. You've hired me for the fact that I'm a musician and I've been doing this for 26 years. My musicianship currently happens to be playing a console rather than, you know, many of the instruments that I do play. And, and so for me, I feel like I'm giving my best, even if I blow it. I mean, I've, uh, 
short story. I've, I've had this happen many times and it's funny because as a mixer, I don't get shaken by it anymore. Early in my career I did, but, um, I, I had an artist maybe six months ago that I sent the first mix and their, their note back to me via email was literally, I don't know what I'm hearing. I'm not sure what, you know, what to even think of this. And I thought, okay, because I had done something really crazy with the drums. Okay. I had done something really bold and they didn't provide me with a rough mix. Oh. And I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of, uh, I have a very specific way that I handle rough mixes or reference mixes, but, um, and I have the, those conversations with, with the artist, but this guy was someone who he had reached out via my website and said, I've got to get this done ASAP. Do you have time to work it in this week? So we hadn't had oh, much okay. prep time. So I just kind of went for it, but he kind of, you know, he was kind of freaking out. We'd never worked together before and he didn't, he, he, he didn't like it. So I, so I just, we got on the phone and started having a conversation and he told me what he didn't understand and what was going on. I said, okay, great. And it, you know, he was literally at the point where, man, do you think this is going to work? Is this going <laughs> to, I'm kind of like, okay, I've done this once or twice. Yeah. I think we'll be all right. So I said, okay, I hear everything you're saying. Give me, give me about a half hour and I'm going to have another mix to you. Just sit, you know, sit there in your studio. He's like, okay, great. So I opened the session up and I changed one EQ, moved two faders, printed the mix in six minutes. He got it and signed off on it. <laughs> wow. There were no, there were no tweaks. He, he was like, this is beyond what I was hoping. So, so uh, I would say this to anyone listening who sends their stuff to a mixer who has chops, give them a chance to be creative and don't worry if you don't like it at first. I mean, we're all, we're all trying to not copy the past, but forge ahead. And, but we also, we've been doing this long enough that it's, it, it's not dead in the water. We, we, we're going to get it where you want it. So that was just, you know, one of those, okay, that was a, that was a wild ride for, for 30 minutes for him. It was m much more of a wild ride for him than it was for yeah. me. I'm sure you were comfortable with that, you know, uh, with the experience that you have after 26 years, you probably sat back and said, well, I've been here before, but, uh, but yes. the, the artist is probably, freaking out he's probably never been there before so that's exactly he was scared to death because he really hadn't had too many things mixed by anyone other than himself or some friends who you know all kind of just getting their feet under them and and so it was it was all around a new and probably overwhelming experience for him uh and and he has since been back and we've done more so you know which is always that's the real sign to me of whether someone really liked it or yeah. not are they coming back <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you are a multi Grammy winning engineer. Um, do you want to do you want to plug yourself and talk to us about your Grammys and, and let us know what they're for? Sure, I, you know, and I'll say this, and this is not like a, a Grammy speech or anything. This is this is for real. You know that I've engineered or mixed on four Grammy winners um, and and fourteen others that were nominated and. And I will say this, you know, th this is the beauty of music and something that 
is we have to be so much more intentional about these days. And that is the team factor in making a record. I have unbelievably fond memories of each of these projects, the blood, sweat, tears, everything, but it's not one man sitting in a room, which is, which is how, how we often are making music these days. Um, so, you know, there's a little soapbox right there because you, you don't, you don't hit that kind of chord that speaks to people in a way that they want to vote you as the winner without, without it being a huge effort by a lot of people. Um, so yeah, so I have, um, I have one Grammy with Michael W. Smith, uh, for an album called worship again. Um, it was a live record and that was in 2003, I believe. Um, my first Grammy was for Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir uh, in New York. Um, my one of my mentors uh, was engineering and producing the record. He brought me up and and had me co-engineer with him and gave me a lot of yeah gave me a lot of opportunities uh, to get involved uh, on a very deep level on on that and and yeah a lot of lot of learning and a lot of fun and and a lot of work you know. Um, and then, uh, had another one with Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, uh, for a Christmas record a few years later, and then one Latin Grammy for an artist named Alex Campos. All of his records each have some very traditional Latin, uh, tracks, but also some, some kind of uber pop tracks. And okay. so, uh, okay. so I was, I was kind of brought in to mix the pop stuff on okay. that. I believe it was his producer who was in Argentina. Alex is from Colombia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the producer was in Argentina in Buenos Aires, and uh, and so he mixed kind of the the traditional stuff, and I mixed the the more pop stuff. That reminds me of what uh what I lost a few seconds ago, yeah. um, which was the diversity of what you do. <laughs> you you know you said you went from uh, a hip hop track one day to a rock track to you know Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir yeah. to you know Latin music, yeah. Um, but uh, isn't Nashville the town for that? It seems yeah. like Nashville really kicked it off. Like country has been rock and hip hop and pop mm-hmm. for a long time, whether yeah. they like to admit that or not. That's right. I, I agree. It, it's funny. I hear people shun country, but they love the Eagles. I'm like, man, I, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, have you really listened? Have you really <laughs> listened? Because yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that although when I moved here, country was the predominant thing. Uh, Nashville has become very much known for ridiculous musicianship yeah, and, oh, yeah. and diversity. Uh, so, and, and that's growing more and more like you alluded to earlier. Yeah. We've, we've half LA is moving here in, you know, in droves. I think there's, you know, airlines that are just being booked just to cart people out who are moving. Yeah. I think yeah. the, you know, I heard a, couple months ago that it's something like 200 families a day moving to Nashville. It's now it's obscene, you know, uh, it's not the town that I moved to, but that's okay. You know, there's, there's growing pains, but, but it's a good thing. But musically, that's a really good thing because we have people coming here from all different walks of life, all different genres of music and creation, Mm -hmm. uh, film people, music people, you know, it's really, um, I see this as, as good for the community. 
Yeah, I, I think so. And, um, you know, the more people that leave LA, the better for me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Weed it out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, but trust me, I'm, I'm sure we have plenty more when they leave here. Um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but no, a lot of the really great engineers that I know here have gone back to uh, to Nashville or, or gone mm-hmm. to Nashville or gone back. You know, they might yes. have been native, come out here for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Nashville's a really cool town. I, I enjoy it every time I'm there. And yeah. uh, I always find myself wanting to stay longer. Um, it's just that kind of cool place. It's, it really is. It's a it's yeah. a great place to great place to live. Great place to come and enjoy. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing you, you mentioned this a little, I read about this on your website, but you do a bit of mentorship as well and yeah. uh, some teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more, more about that? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, it goes back to what, uh, some, some of the things that we've, we've touched on already. Um, I was very, very fortunate to come up under some great mentors. Um, three in particular that, um, that really taught me, you know, not just guys who beat me up and treated me like a young punk. I mean, they really (laughs) gave me opportunities to learn and, and not only to learn, but to help launch my career, which, which is a really big deal. And so, so that was the norm in the early to mid nineties. That's, you know, because of the difference in the music industry at the time. And now we're in a place where, uh, that model is much harder to pull off. So, so something that, you know, as I've gotten older, I really have wanted to be able to give back in that same kind of way that, that was given to me. And, and so for me, the way that that works is, um, in my daily workflow, I want to help, you know, there's, there's 16 year old kids who, who write to me or, or, or text me or hit me with a DM and, and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. I can't figure this out. Hey, what would you suggest? Or would you listen to my music? You know, I can't listen to, I can't (laughs) listen to everything that's sent to me. I get hit with several every day and, and there's just not the time. But for me, uh, one of the main ways that I do this is, um, I, I kind of call it mixed mentor mastering. And, and I have several people that I do this with and what that process looks like is, okay, they can't afford for me to mix their record. Um, I also had the opportunity to have my mixes mastered by some of the top guys in the world for years and had the opportunity a lot to sit with a mastering engineer named Hank Williams, who was one of the top guys here in Nashville. Um, for a long time. Hank retired a couple years ago. Um, but he was kind enough to, to really speak into me as a mixer from the aspect of mastering. So, so I've really learned, it's not about making it loud. It's uh, there's an art to mastering. And I was able to learn that from Hank and from these other guys that I've had, I'd have phone calls with, you know, uh, talking to after they'd mastered my mixes. So, uh, what that does for me is, uh, I, I have a confidence level in my mastering ability, mm-hmm. uh, and as well as my mixing ability to where if someone can't afford for me to mix, mm-hmm. um, we do the mix mentor mastering. So they send a mix and I basically, instead of just taking it and mastering it, we tweak it together. Okay. We talk about, we talk about 
production issues. We talk about mix issues. We talk about, um, you know, creative ideas, you know, sometimes it's not that there's problems, but sometimes I go, Oh man, you know, you've, you've set up this last chorus and it almost gets there. But if you do this, 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 it's going to just explode and jump out the speaker. So, so then they go back to the drawing board, you know, and, and hit these points, come back to me. We'll go back and forth until we feel like it's really worthy of and ready to be mastered. And then we'll put a killer mastering job on it. And so, so they get, they get work done that they need. They would be hiring a mastering engineer anyway. Sure. But what they get is they get some training. They get some, some, you know, someone with years to speak into it before it hits that point, rather than just slapping it through, through some mastering and and going, well, that's as good as the mix that you gave me. And so that, that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is, that's not the only way that I do mentoring things, but that's, that's one of the main ways that allows me to interact with people that way. That's really great. And I, and I would assume that you learn a lot from that process as well um, because you have other creatives coming in, um, you know, to touch on my, my question earlier, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure that's another way you stay on that uh, cutting edge of audio. Oh, huge, Um, huge. Because I'm always as, Oh, how'd you do that? That's cool. How did you do that? What'd you do there? And yeah, it's, it's, it's a mutually beneficial process. And I'm sure on the other side of that conversation, when someone hears that, that, that helps them and their confidence level, you know, someone of, um, of your caliber, you know, you know, asking how they did something, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that helps them in their career as well. Well, and that's the beauty. Uh, Yes. I've got, I have years more experience than a lot of people that I work with, but we're all in the trenches together. And one of the great things is we're all using the same tools these days. You know, it's, it's no longer, Oh, well, I'm sitting at an SSL today with all this outboard and, you know, they, they might feel less than, or like, I'm like, no, man, I've got the same tools that you do that I sit here working with every day. So we're, we're, we're all in this together, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you have a control surface. You're not using an analog board. It's, that's right. You know, it's just like them in pro tools or whatever DAW that they're using. Exactly. Um, You know, it's just a different uh, form factor and a different uh, tactile approach. (laughs) That's Um, right. I want to go back to the interface for just sure. a minute uh, because, uh, you know, this is unsolicited, you know, but I, I, when Dave, when Dave came out, I told him, you know, I, I have been doing this a long time and, sure. and I had high hopes for the 16 line to, that it would do what I needed it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was prepared for, okay, I'm, there's going to be a compromise here, a compromise there. And I've got to say, I, I don't get wound up about gear too much anymore because I've kind of been there and done that with, yeah. with all of it. It's, it's kind of like, to me, it's just a tool. It's a tool to get my job done today. But I have been more excited about this interface oh, cool. than, than anything in a long time because I am so much about workflow. We talked mm-hmm. about how I am a big proponent of i need the tech to melt away i love tech but i need it to melt away so that i can be creative i can't get bogged down or distracted by it or be fighting it or have it fight me Mm -hmm. and and there have uh, my setup in the past has 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 been as streamlined as i could get it Mm -hmm. but i will say that this has made everything a real pleasure not only sonically which it's blown my mind and I can touch on that 
a, a little bit in a minute, but really just workflow, which, which is the key to my creativity. So that's, that's why it excites me so much because that workflow is what lets me feel musical. Oh, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that the, the 16 line was able to get out of your way so you could be creative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In an amazing way. And, and so it, it got out of my way to be creative, but it got in my way sonically, uh, because I had, I had been using some, some gear previously that I, I was thrilled with. I was super yeah. happy with it sonically. And when I decided to test drive the 16 lines D to A converters, mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, this will be fun. Let's see what it, let's see how <laughs> it stacks up. And, and the end result was at first I wasn't sure. Uh-huh. Um, and that quickly turned into, okay, here's what I'm, here's what's made me feel unsure is that I'm hearing things in my mixes that I was not aware of. Sure. And now I'm going, okay, uh, there's things I've been missing mm-hmm. with this other gear. And so uh, over the course of a few weeks, cause I never make changes quickly, ma- making changes quickly. There's always a honeymoon period, whether it's a plug-in or, 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 or outboard, you'd be thrilled with it because it's new and shiny, but, mm-hmm. but, but does it stand up to the test of time? That's the, right. that's the question. And so I'm really cautious about how much I lean on something new. And, uh, and so over the course of a few weeks started really transitioning to that being my main D to a, my mixes were coming together more quickly, um, uh, because I, because of what I was able to hear and some, uh, some trouble spots that I realized that the other gear that I had been using was actually hiding and making sound, making it sound a little better than mm. what I had really achieved. And so, so it was, uh, it, it has been a fantastic change for me. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I've heard only good things from the people that have uh, tried out anything from the Red Range, the, yeah. the the Red Four Pre, the Red Eight Pre, or the Sixteen Line. They're all basically the same um, quality components and everything. Yes. It's just uh, you know the IO IO count is about the only difference there. Right. Uh, yeah. Those are those are. That's a great interface, yeah. and I'm I'm glad that you like it, and uh, I'm glad it's. Um, you know, allowing you to hear the things that were a little bit more difficult to hear in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a big thing, especially as we're working in the digital world, that final D to A conversion is Mm -hmm. the link between what we're doing in our ears. So the, the, the more revealing, the more detail we can get out of that, the, the better we're going to be. Good. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Great. Uh, Unless there's anything else that uh, that you'd like to touch on? I think that's it. I've really enjoyed uh, being here with you today. All right. Sounds good. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focus Right Pro Podcast. This mostly bi-monthly show is produced and hosted by me, Dan Hughley, for Focus Right. Music is by Merlin. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at FocusRight Pro. For more information, please visit our website at www.pro.focusright.com.
even though we live in a digital age, sound always begins analog. Mm 